The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Hey, good morning, ACF. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, welcome to church. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, just keep an eye out as people are coming in, uh, squeeze together to make some space. We're having to put chairs out in the back. Um, but before we get into our message today, I just want to throw out a couple things. Grab that card on your seat that Travis spoke about real quick. Pull that out. Um, if you haven't seen that, um, here's kind of the news. If you haven't heard it, we are launching a new Wednesday night church plant here in Eagle River. And uh, basically, it's going to be a Sunday morning service on Wednesday night. It's going to be the first of our week to share a new sermon, a new worship set, a new message. And uh, we are so excited about this, uh, this opportunity to, to really reach an unreached people group. And that's the crowd that just can't get here on a weekend. Um, I got a Facebook message from somebody this week who was saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, ACF, for providing a new chance for us to go to church. It's been two years since me and my sister have been able to go to church because we work every Sunday morning and we literally cannot get out. And so uh, we're excited. That's why we're doing it is because we believe that there's a lot of people that have not been able to come here. And we also know that a lot of you are gone on the weekends and you can't be part of what's happening here on a Sunday. You're fishing, you're working, whatever it may be. Um, so this is a chance for you to be a part of a church and to stay plugged in on a weeknight. So what we need is we need a launch team. And just like any church plant, it's going to need a group of people that are saying, I'm part of this thing. I commit to it. I want to be part of the launching group. I want to serve maybe. I want to um, show up every week. I want to bring my friends to this. And so if you can commit to that, would you fill out that card um, and then drop that in the basket or in the box in the back before you leave and just let us know you'll be part of this. And you're going to hear about this more, but this Wednesday night, we're going to be praying here in the parking lot for 20 minutes. So we believe that as, as we step out in faith as a church in this new thing, um, that we want to be following God in every step as a church. And that, that, uh, that, that means being people of prayer and going to God and just saying, hey, would you work through this? And could we follow you in this? And could we be a light in our city in new ways? And so we'd love for as many of you as possible, we're going to circle up out in the parking lot for 20 minutes. It'll be 20 minutes, 7 to 7.20, exactly a week before we launch this new thing, 7 p.m. Wednesday night. So would love for you to be a part of that. But we are in a series today called American Jesus. We've been a few weeks in this talking about the different caricatures we've created of the real Jesus. And I don't know if you, have you ever had a caricature drawn of yourself? Anybody been to the State Fair, Fair yet? Been out to Palmer, yeah? So you guys have been out there. You've seen maybe the guy that's set up and he's drawing caricatures of people. Uh, it's an interesting thing to get a caricature drawn of yourself. When you look at it, you're like, wow, that really looks like me. And then at the same time, you're like, that doesn't look anything like me, right? Because they take all of the different aspects of who you are and they blow them way out of proportion, right? And so things, oftentimes it's hard to look at. Maybe when you see a, when you see a caricature of yourself, it hurts a little bit. Because you're like, I thought I hid that pretty well, but they can see it, and they drew it in the picture. Or, or maybe it's funny, because you're like, yeah, that's an out-of-proportion part of who I am, and they see it very clearly, and uh, they're making fun of it. Um, but one thing is for sure, when it comes to caricatures, is they're always honest. 
And as a community, what we want to do is spend some time being honest with ourselves and saying, what are the caricatures we've created of Jesus? And are we worshiping and getting to know the real Jesus? Or have we created some different characters of of who he is? And so last week we talked about this uh, passive Jesus, this Jesus that doesn't really um, impress himself upon other people, doesn't want to impose himself, um, walks by things that are going on and doesn't, doesn't step in and doesn't involve himself. This next week, I want you guys to come back and don't miss next Sunday. We're talking about postmodern Jesus. And this is the Jesus that sees himself as one of many ways to get to heaven. Uh, There's a lot of ways. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And I'm not here to impose my beliefs on your beliefs. Just believe whatever you want to believe. And that's cool with me. And so we're going to talk about that Jesus next week. But this week, as you guys can see from the starting video, we're talking about prepper Jesus. Prepper Jesus. You guys have maybe seen the shows, American Preppers, and all of these different uh, uh, doomsday prepper shows that are on TV. But this Jesus is obsessed with the end. He's obsessed uh, with setting himself up and his family to make it through to the end. And he's hoarding supplies, you know, building a bunker in the backyard, protecting themselves. He's got this perspective, this world is not my home. I'm not going to spend forever here. And so he just dreams of the demise of this dirty, rotten, broken world and one day spending eternity in bliss uh, with, with his father. And so this is, this is prepper Jesus. And maybe you've seen this kind of perspective within Christianity as well. Um, but we're going to discuss this a little bit today. Our launching passage is 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, if you want to open up to that. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it on the screen behind me. If you need a Bible, you can actually take one of those black Bibles and take it home with you, and that's your Bible if you don't have one. But follow along with me here. Let's read this together. Second Peter 3, 8. It says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let me pray with us. Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, thank you so much for this church right here in Eagle River. God, we have so many people from different backgrounds, different places, different places in their walk in faith. God, thank you that this is a safe place to gather with questions and, and concerns from different places, God. And, and that we can have unity as we come together as human beings, all just desiring to hear from our Creator. So, Father, would you speak to us? Would you change us? Would you open us up to your Word? And, God, I pray we'd gain more than head knowledge and information today, God, but you would get through to our souls, God, and that our souls would be different as we leave here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so we're going to be jumping around a lot today, reading a lot of scripture, and be ready for that. Um, but 
So I'm a dad. I talk a lot about my life as a dad. Um, it's just, it's where I'm at in life. I got three kids, and so a lot of my inspiration for talking to you guys comes from my children. That's just, if you're a parent, you get it. You learn a lot from your kids, right? And so my kids, for a couple years now, have been saying, Dad, can we get a pet? They want a pet. And uh, we had a dog, and we got rid of the dog. That's another story. So dog is gone. They want a pet. And I'm like, no. Uh, I talked to my wife. I said, once everything in our house uses a, uses a toilet, then we're going to get a pet. But until then, until everybody is taken care of, out of diapers, I'm not doing it. And so, I mean, it's enough work as it is. But they want a pet. And so the other day, we're out in the yard, and my daughter Cadence comes up to me, and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, look what I found. And she got her hands out. She opens her hands up, and uh, it was kind of like this picture that they can pull up here. There it is. So she has a bird, and I'm like, I'll put it down, right? Like any parent, go wash your hands. It's probably disease. What? And then I'm like, why isn't it flying off? It's just, is it dead? She goes, no, it's not dead. It's just not flying. I don't know what's wrong with it, but it's not flying. And so I'm thinking, just get rid of the diseased bird. And anyway, she said, I found it in the driveway. And then, you know, what's the next question she asks? Can I keep it, right? Can I keep it, Daddy? I said, no. No, you know the rule. Everything has to go to the bathroom. Anyway, so we're not going to keep a, a pet right now. We can't deal with a pet. And so we got talking, and I talked with my wife, and she's like, well, maybe they can get a little shoebox and keep the bird. And so the bird would fly around a little bit, but would just stay in front of her. Something was wrong with it. And so they put the bird in the shoebox, and of course they put, you know, a little bit of grass in there, and it had a little birdie bed, and a little birdie couch, and a little birdie TV set up, and this is the whole house for the bird. And so they played with the bird for a long time, it was like, you know, two minutes, and then put the bird on the table in the backyard, and then went and did something else, right? And so now the bird's in the backyard, and I'm like, whatever. And so I go get the lawnmower, and so it's time to, time to mow the lawn. I got this riding lawnmower. So fire up the riding lawnmower, throw on my headphones, you know, noise-canceling headphones, and I just get into my own little world when I'm mowing the yard. And uh, so I'm mowing, and I'm going around the yard doing loops, and I get over by the deck, and the, and the mower starts conking out, and it's shaking and stuttering, and I'm like, what's going on? And finally it stalls out. And I'm like, ah, oh, it ran out of gas, right? So I get off the thing, I walk around front, and then right in the grass, guess what was there? This stinking bird, right? And it's not just any bird. They have named the bird. The bird's name is Wingle. So Wingle, Wingle is in the grass, right six inches from becoming lawn mulch in my yard. I mean, six inches from death. Had the thing not run out of gas right when it did, I would have just run over their bird. And so, of course, I run around. I get some gas. I put the gas in the motor, try to get rid of this whole bird. Pr- no, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> so I pick up the bird, you know, and I'm like, oh boy, you were, you were this close, right? Put the bird back in the box. And I was thinking about that this week, and I'm like, isn't that kind of all of our lives? Aren't we all just six inches from the end, if you think about it? Aren't we all just, you're like, this is the most depressing sermon in the world. <laughs> It'll get better. But anyway, aren't we all just six inches, if you think about it? Six inches from the end. At any moment, this could be it. At any moment, this could be the end of our story. And as we, as we look at being a prepper, and we start to dissect what this looks like, um, the world's kind of, kind of in a rough place, isn't it? As you look around, don't you see that there's a lot of problems? 
And doesn't your heart kind of break as you watch the news and as you, as you look at all of the things that are going on on, on a local scale, on a global scale? We see famine. We see um, people lacking just basic medical care all across the globe. According to water.org, 750 million people currently lack access to clean water. Is that amazing? I mean, that is just, it, it breaks our hearts, right, to think about 750 million people, that's parents who are giving their children water that they are, are slowly poisoning their kids. And they know that, but they've got nothing else. This is the world that we live in. We see natural disasters and floods and all kinds of uh, tidal waves and, and problems. We look around and we go, okay, is, how about morality? Is the world just getting worse, morally speaking? I mean, do you ever wonder, are we just becoming a little bit more numb to right and wrong? Do you guys ever wonder that? As you look out in the world, you're like, are we just becoming more and more used to certain things, certain twisted ideologies within our culture? Uh, and then you, you watch things on the news like the recent Ashley Madison thing. Are you guys watching that? So this is a whole crazy scandal. It's a website that's dedicated to finding somebody to have an affair with. Um, they've got a really create, creative slogan. It's, uh, life is short, have an affair. So I don't know who came up with that, but super creative. Um, anyway, 30 million names were released. Uh, some, you know, high school kid in his parents' basement hacked into the website and got all these names, and now they're released to the public. And so 30 million people are on this place looking for love in all the wrong places, right? And so... I'm just, I'm watching this going, really? Is this, and everybody's mad at the hacker. I'm like, I kind of think the hacker's the hero. I don't know. But I'm, I'm watching this go down, and I read an article that uh, 400 uh, American church leaders will resign from their positions today because of what happened there, because their names were on the list. And I think to myself, man, there's something not okay here. That And statistically, there are probably somebody, uh, some of you in this church that were maybe on the list. And so I think to myself, this is a broken world that we live in. That doesn't your heart think, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Uh, when you see a, a marriage that's healthy, when people who truly love each other and they stick it out through thick and thin, when you see people who have clean water, when you see people who are healthy, you think, now that's how it's supposed to be. And so what happens in us is we start longing for the end, don't we? We, all, we start praying prayers like this. Jesus, just come back. Just come back and, and wipe this place out of existence. And, and would you just clean up the mess that we've made in this world? And so, so we start longing for the end. And pretty soon we become these prepper Christians, these people that are just living for the end. Now here's the reality, you guys. We are all headed for the end. We are all six inches from the end. And when I say the end, what I'm referring to is that moment that either death or Jesus pulls the plug on your existence. Either death or Jesus, at some point, we will hit the end. And we're all headed there. And so everybody wants to know what this is going to be like, right? Everybody wants to know. It's mysterious. One thing I know none of you have experienced is the end. Because you're right here, right? And so people have asked this question. Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 3. His disciples are talk, talk, talking to him, and he says, As he sat in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, 
but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So this is the cheery future Jesus tells us about, um, is that, that it, can, it will get worse, that problems will escalate. And as we look around, we go, okay, I see some of this going on, and it looks really bad. But I love in the middle of this, this beautiful little word picture, he talks about it as birth pains as birth pains. He doesn't talk about it as the end of something, but as the beginning of something new and beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Like that this idea that the world is kind of wasting away and things are falling apart. We see it in our own bodies. We see it in the world. Isn't the end of anything. It's slowly the beginning of something new. He starts by casting this vision of something greater. And then the next question that people have is, so when's it going to happen, right? We want to know when. And so for generations and generations, people have been, you know, uh, saying, okay, it's going to be this date. And then when that date passes, right, they pick another date. And then when that date passes, they pick another date. And we read in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So here's the deal. If Jesus don't know, you don't know. You just don't. The end's coming. It's going to happen. But we don't know when it's going to be. And so what do we do with all of this? How do we respond? A lot of people respond with this prepper mentality of the world. And so when I I watch these shows, I have to admit, I kind of have a different perspective. I feel like the prepper mentality is a little twisted in some ways. This idea that whether it's going to be some kind of crazy disease or it's the zombie apocalypse, whatever it's going to be that ends the world, you know what? You guys are all going to be dead, but I'm going to be just fine. I'll be in my bunker, me and my family, and we're going to be okay. And I think to myself, is that living? I don't know. Take me. I I kind of think I just want to go with the rest of the crowd. I don't know if, if I really care to live beyond that, but there's this mentality that, again, it's it's personal care. It's caring for myself. It's that as long as I'm okay, everything's okay. And one of, the, one of the codes of our church, one of the things that we believe and we talk about this a lot is that it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And so if your theology or your view of the world ever leads you to believe that things are all about making you happy or comfortable or protecting yourself or about your little story, you have misunderstood the word of God. If at any point it comes back to you, we've misunderstood this whole deal. Because as believers, I think we see the world differently. As if you're a believer here today in Jesus, we have this totally different perspective of the end, of what this all looks like. 1 Corinthians 15.50, if you want to put that verse up. Let's read this together. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
Love that passage. There's a lot going on here. We don't have time to dig into every detail. But what's basically happening here is he's talking about the fact that this body isn't going to last forever, right? That these things aren't going to last forever. And even the things that you store up underground protecting yourself with are not going to last forever. And there will come a moment where these imperishable bodies will put on, or these perishable bodies will put on the imperishable, where we will be made eternal. And if there's one thing that we know about this world, the, the only thing that's eternal are people. Everything that you've invested in, all the things that you've gained, if it's not about people, it's not going to last. And that's the point of what he's saying. There will come a day when all of these things will change. And at that day, death will follow it up, will be swallowed up in victory. And he talks about death, and I, I know this is depressing, but we just got to talk about death. We got to think about death. We don't love talking about death. It's not really fun. Um, we don't enjoy thinking about it, but it's an important thing to consider is death. It's, it's, it's weird because as people, death gets our attention, doesn't it? Death gets our attention. That's why whenever you drive by a car wreck, you're, that's why on the Glen, whenever there's a car in the ditch, it's five miles an hour, right? Because everybody's watching. The, am I going to see something? Somebody laid out on the street. If you've ever seen a bad accident, you just can't look away, right? You just can't help it. I'm just obsessed with this. And, or maybe you've had a death in the family. Maybe you've experienced this firsthand and you've dealt with the pain of death. And, and it's interesting. It's this weird confusion that happens within us, right? When you see somebody that's no longer with us. You look at them and, and it's just bizarre because they're there and yet they're not there. Like there's a human being in front of us and yet at the same time, it's not really them, you know? You see, I think a lot of people see death as this, that death is sort of this natural, unpleasant phenomenon. It's just all part of, it's life and death. It's all part of how this was all made to be. But I want to tell you, if you're a Christian today, you have a different view that death is not a natural phenomenon. Death is the most unnatural thing that people will ever experience. That's why it catches your attention because even if you're not a believer, you look at, your, you look at death, you see it happen, you think to yourself, this shouldn't be this way. I mean, part of your soul cries out for somebody to deal with death, right? Can somebody fix this? Because I don't believe that this is how it was supposed to be. And then he talks about this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I love that Paul acknowledges the pain of death. He acknowledges the sting of death, that, that it hurts, and, and that, that it's a hard thing to deal with. But he says, at this point, this day that is coming, when all things change, at, at that point, it's going to be very clear to us that, that death is swallowed up in the victory of Christ Jesus, that he has conquered death. So we look forward to that day, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to look forward to, but we still fear, right? If, if, you're, if you're a parent, the fear of death has changed. You know, when, when I was younger, I feared death for myself. I'm like, I just don't want to die, right? And then as I got older now, I've got kids and a wife, and I fear death for them. I, I worry about losing my family. Sometimes I lay in bed, and I worry about these things. Um, am I alone in that? Come on, some of you guys are with me in that. I just, I fear, I fear death. And this is a hard passage to read that, that there is no sting in death for those who know Christ Jesus. And one day we'll know that in fullness. And so what's wrong with the prepper Christian? 
What's wrong with this prepper Jesus, this, this way of, you know, protecting yourself? At first brush, it, blush, it looks okay. You know, you're storing up things. You're, you're uh, thinking of eternity. You're looking towards the future. You've got a bigger picture, like the guy in the video, you know? Like, is it me or is it you, right? Is it me or is it you? You think I'm crazy or maybe you're crazy for not doing this. And so the prepper, in some ways, looks like they're just thinking ahead, you might think, well, Brian, shouldn't we live for eternity? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're, if we're Christians, we live for eternity. I don't think so. I think we were never meant to live for eternity. We were meant to live for Jesus. This is different. Do you guys see the difference? Let me explain this. This is a very different way of seeing the world. It's one thing to say, Jesus, just come back today. Take me away. I'm good. I'm good. I surrendered to you a long time. I'm fine. Just come back. And it's another thing to live for Jesus right here, right now in the world that we live in. You see, when you live for eternity, it's a different kind of life. You're, you're always looking towards something that's to come one day. This thing off in the future that one day will show up here. It's kind of like, you guys listen, winter's coming. Alaskans, winter is coming. It was 38 degrees at my house. I mean... Winter's here. I'm sorry. I know that depresses some of you. And, and some of you here, you woke up and you saw that on your thermometer and you just immediately got depressed, right? I mean, your whole outlook on the world is, is very dim right now. And you just think, my life is over. Winter is coming. Summer is gone. Here it comes. And so, it, and, it, and it's affecting you. It affects the way that you deal with your kids and with your wife or your husband. It affects the way that you deal with your friends. Or it affects the way that you enjoy this beautiful place that we live in because all you can think is winter is coming. Oh man, the end is near, right? It's a different way of living for a Christian. We can tend to have that perspective like the end is coming. Oh, and we just think about it and we obsess about it. When really, you know what? This is a beautiful place to live in. And I'm going to experience the same winter that you're going to experience. But I, man, I hope that we can enjoy this place. I hope that we can find ways to enjoy the winter. That's the difference between people who kind of make it in Alaska and people that don't. Are the ones that, the ones that make it are the ones that get out and they find ways to love the winter. They find ways to love this place in that season where it's cold outside. Other people just get depressed, you know, and it's very difficult because they hole up in their houses. They don't make relationships. They don't go outside. They just sit around and think, it's winter. <laughs> Give me summer. I think there's something to learn here. I think for us as believers, we can be this way. We know it's getting bad. We know that it, it's going to get worse. We know that the end is coming. It's down the road. But what do you do with right here, right now? Is, is the greatest story that we have to share with the world really this? Hey, there's heaven and there's hell. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? So you can get on the train with me and one day we're going to go to heaven or you can go to hell. Which one do you want? Uh, heaven, I guess. You know, like if I got to choose, I guess I'll choose heaven, right? It's, it's a different story that we read in Scripture. It's a bigger narrative about something that's going on right here on the wor in the world today. So it's good to be prepared for the end. I'm going to be prepared for winter. I'm going to go stack up some pile of some firewood. I'm going to winterize the cars. You know, I'm going to get everything sealed up on the house. I'll be prepared. But you know what? I don't want to live for what's to come one day. I want to live for right now. I want to be ready for the end. 
We want to be as Christians. We want to be ready for eternity. We want to know like, hey, my soul is at peace with God. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. But we want to live today, not for eternity, but for Jesus Christ. Right here, right now. So how do we rethink the end? How do we have a different perspective uh, of this as a church? I think the first thing is this, to know that the end is real. The end is real, which you might think is obvious. Of course, the end's real. We're all going to die someday. But I think that we get this on a superficial knowledge level that we're all going to die someday, but we don't really get it down deep inside of our, our souls. Luke 12, verse 16 says this. Jesus is telling a story because he loves telling stories. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus' stories always kind of hurt a little bit, don't they? He has this way of just getting right to our hearts. And so he's telling this story about a rich guy. This guy had a good year. Business was good. Got a lot of crops. The weather was good. And he has all this stuff to store. And he says, hey, I've got these little barns. Uh, I got a lot to store. So what am I going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns, which makes sense, right? It's not a, not a bad thing to do. If you have a lot of resources, you got to store it somewhere. So it's not, it's not that he was acting in a, in a wise way. That's the problem. He's taking care of his crop. It's, it's that he has a, a, a twisted perspective of his stuff. You understand, as you even read this, he says, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I will store all my grain and all my goods. And he has this way. He's like, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm caring for myself. So you, you just get the sense that this guy's he is the prepper. He, this, is the, this is the Christian prepper. And then he says to himself, soul. I love that he talks to his soul. It's like he has a conversation with his soul. Soul, he's standing next to it. Soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Don't we do that? Don't we, don't we sometimes convince ourselves that we're okay? And don't outside circumstances sometimes give us, at a soul level, this, this feeling that we're at peace, that everything's going to be just fine? Look at you. Your bank account's full. Your basement's full of food. You got a roof over your head. It's nice and warm inside. It's cold outside. Soul, you. It's like a blanket for the soul. You're going to be just fine. And then Jesus says, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So Jesus, he shocks the audience and he says, this man, he thought his soul was fine because it was comfortable. And because it was safe, because he had protected himself. But what will you do when your soul is required of you? What will you do on that day that, that we come to where everything is made known? All that you are, all that you've invested in the world is all, is all made known. What will you do then? This idea of preparing things and prepping, this is a huge thing. In the United States, I was reading this this week, 44,000 self-storage facilities in the U.S. 
44,000, totaling 1.5 billion square feet with a market value of about $120 billion. That's big money, right? That is the, that is the storage uh, market in the U.S. And we have so much junk that we buy other places to store more junk that we don't need, right? And so this is, he's talking about this guy. He's like, hey, you have lost perspective. You have stored your, your stuff. You have built up an empire for yourself. And yet, you know what? You don't have a soul that's at peace with God. This isn't a fun talk. Um, we were in Cheyenne with my parents, and they called us up, and they're like, hey, can you get your brother together and his wife, and we're going to sit down. We're going to have a family meeting. Those are always fun, right? Family meeting. And uh, so we sit down on the couches, and they're like, uh, so they hand us these little envelopes. Here's our envelopes. He goes, he's like, uh, th- these are our wills. So my dad starts talking about when he's going to die, and I'm like, dad, you're healthy. You're good. We don't want to talk about this. This is vacation. Come on, let's just go outside. Let's hang out in the sun. He's like, no, no, we have to have this talk. We should have had this talk a long time ago because I'm not going to last forever. And I know all this is going to end at some point. And so we need to have this talk, not tomorrow, not the next day, right now. This is how it is, is that we need this perspective on our lives. We need to have this talk, not tomorrow, not the next day, right now. That the end is coming. The end is coming. The end is real, and the, ne- and the next point is this. The end is coming. It is on its way. You depressed yet? Gets better. It's good. The end is coming. First Peter 4, 7 says this beautifully. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, so he starts off by making a point. The end is at hand. Any moment now. So what that means is be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful passage about what life should be like as those who know that the end is real. We should live like the end is coming, like it's imminent, like it's at any moment. It's a different kind of lifestyle, isn't it? My parents used to say this. Is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Anybody ever hear that one? That's what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back. It comes up at the worst times in your head, right? There it is. Ah, oh, conviction, right? Is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? It's a great question to ask yourself. Are you ready? Like, are you ready for it to be coming? Are you ready for it to be here in any moment? I think that we say that the end is coming, but we live as if it's not. We say it's coming, but we live as if it's not. If I'm honest with myself, if you were to take an audit of my life, and you were to look at all of the way that I spend my time and my energy and all of my thoughts, would you walk away and say, that guy knows the end's going to be at any moment. That guy is ready for it. The way that he lives, the way that he views himself, the way that he views his family, 
all that he has. He knows the end's coming. And, and then Paul encourages us to live certain ways. Now, I want to I preface it with this. This isn't a list of moral behavior for the sake of moral behavior. I mean, we are not a community that's just trying to become morally pure for the sake of being morally pure. We're a community that has been changed by Christ Jesus, so therefore we live differently. I want you to hear that because I don't want you to hear today, hey, live like the end is coming, just kind of play the game so that Jesus will be impressed by you when he comes back because he won't be. Unless your heart is right before him, unless you have been rescued by him and received his grace, unless you've come to the point where you know that nothing you do, no goodness you have, no good works you've ever performed carry any weight above the cross of Jesus, unless you get to that point, you're not okay. I want us to know that, but since we are there, since you are there, if you're a believer, you are, you are there, you get it. Listen, I have been changed. I can't do anything to save myself. So now, what do I do? I'm self-controlled because I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I'm sober-minded because the end is near. I need to keep my wits about me. I want to be ready for any moment. Sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, he says. Above all, Love one another earnestly. I love this. We hear echoes of Jesus' teaching in this. Hey, above anything, if you don't know what to do right now, if you're at a place in your life where you're, with, you're dealing with something and you're not sure what the next step is, you don't know how to respond, above anything else, just love each other. Love each other. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality without grumbling. I love that. He's acknowledging that when people get into our lives and they cost us time and energy, what do we do? We grumble. We're like, hey, you're kind of annoying. You're driving me crazy. And so he, he's acknowledging that we grumble. And he talks about your gifts. He's like, hey, your gifts aren't for you. Your gifts are to give to other people. As, as you've received a gift, use it for everyone else. And he talks about your tongue. He says, if you're going to speak, speak like you're speaking for God changes what you say, doesn't it? You speak to your wife, speak like you're speaking for God. Speak to your kids, speak like you're speaking to God. When you're speaking to your teachers, your, your friends, speak like you're speaking for God. Changes everything. Again, it goes back to the glory of God. It goes back to honoring God in all of this. You see, I think this, I think that how close we feel to the end often dictates the intensity of our love for people and our love for life. Your proximity to the end dictates how well you love. That's just natural uh, human intentions. And so like my wife, Amanda, she's a runner. She talks about how uh, when she ran in college, she would um, be in a race. And then at that last leg of the race, what tends to happen for runners? Last leg of the race. You guys know? They, they speed up, right? They speed up. And, and she was telling me about how her coach, if she would speed up at the end of the race, the coach would be like, don't ever do that again. I don't want to see that again. It's like, what? Shouldn't I speed up? He's like, no, like when you cross the finish line, you need to cross it with nothing left. I mean, you, you, don't need, you don't have any gas left in the tank when you cross the finish line. It's not that you've kind of ran half-heartedly for a while. You get to last moment, then you push the rest that you've got. You've been pushing the entire time. I think this is a life that God calls us to. But that's just human nature, isn't it? I mean, when we think the end is near, if you got a diagnosis tomorrow that you're going to die in six months, how different would your life be? 
How different would your marriage be? You have, some of you have had this happen. Some of you have been shocked out of your, of your comfort, shocked out of this life's, this prepper Christianity where it's like one day, you know, I'm just preparing for one day. So we've been shocked out of that. And stuff that used to drive you crazy doesn't drive you crazy anymore. It's funny how it reprioritizes your life. Death does that. The end does that. It changes the way that you see yourself, the way that you see people. People used to drive you crazy. You're like, ah, oh, they're, they're fine. It's cool. Things in our culture that just you obsess about, that consume your thoughts, different things consume your thoughts, greater things. If you're a Christian, things of the kingdom of God consume your thoughts because you're nearing the end. It's a different way of seeing your life. Number three is this, the end is just the beginning. This is where it gets really good. The end is just the beginning. As I said earlier, human beings are the only things that are really eternal. As human beings, we are the only things that are going to last. And this is the message that we bring to the world, is that, is that this isn't it. Like, when you die, that's not it. You see, Jesus, he conquered death. The question isn't, will I be eternal? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, the question isn't, will I be eternal? The question is, where am I at with Jesus? Where am I at with Jesus? Have I received his grace today. People need to hear this. People need to hear a bigger narrative, a bigger story, bigger than just, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Because when we read scripture, heaven and hell are talked about in very different terms. It's talked about that today what we experience on this earth is a lot of hell. If, if, if we look at this world, we see a lot of hell. We see this perfect moment in creation where heaven and earth were beautifully aligned and beautifully unified, and God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see a beautiful moment in creation. Then we see sin entering the world. We see hell coming on earth. And then as we watch through the, the, the story of Scripture, we watch what happens. We, we see in Revelation that there's this new heaven and this new earth, and that sin and hell are banished from this world, and that you don't spend eternity on some cloud somewhere you don't spend eternity listening to me speak at church because some of you are like, that sounds more like hell to me than like heaven. Listen, I don't even want to stay, you know, at church for eternity. It's different. It's life here. It's a perfected body. It's a perfected world. It's a world that's reunited to God. Isn't that a better story? Isn't that more exciting? I mean, it is. That's the story that Scripture puts before us. Let's go back to 2 Peter 3 where we started. 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So he starts off with this perspective of God that he's eternal, that he's seen this whole thing beginning to end. He knows what's to come. He's not surprised by all of the mess that we find ourselves in today. And it was interesting, as I was reading this, that a day is like a thousand years. I did the math, and for whatever reason, this kind of spoke to me. But if, if this was literal, I think he's being figurative, but if this was literal, that when I reject God, when I, when I sin, that one minute of that is like eight and a half months to God. And that just spoke to me. I don't know. But that was just kind of, wow, God is eternal. He sees all of this stuff. And, it, and that, that's the point of these days like a thousand years, just to show you that God is eternal. Then he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He was patient towards you. He's, he's talking about how God isn't just slow to come back. I mean, if you're going, Jesus, 
Can you just come back and fix this mess? It's not that God's just slow to come back. It's that he's, he's literally not wishing that any should perish. He sees that in this room today and in our community are people that have not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus. And so God is a gracious father. A good father is ready to come back. And, and I can imagine God almost like poised at the beginning of a race. Like, I'm ready for it. Like, I just, I want to stop all this mess. I want to, I want to, I want to put death to death for the final time. I want to see no more pain. I don't want to see one more kid go to bed without, you know, food and medical care. I don't want to see one more person die of lack of water. I don't want to see one more flood. I don't want to see it anymore. And he's, he's waiting. I can imagine just God pacing and waiting like just one more, just one more to come to me. Just one more opportunity for you to share the gospel with people. One more chance for people to see the love of Jesus in you. Because he's not wishing that anyone should perish. I love this. It's like, I'm a dad, and so I, uh, with, with my kids, I do this all the time. This last week, I told my two daughters to go upstairs and clean their rooms. The room was a total mess. And so I said, go upstairs. I said, you have five minutes to clean your room. So they go upstairs, and I hear like, pick, pick it up, pick it up. Come on, come on. I sit here, and then I hear, ah. I'm like, what's that? And then I hear, stomp, 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 stomp. And then I hear like, more laughing. And then I hear the closet doors opening, and I hear things coming back out of the closet, and I hear more, ah, more laughing. And then I hear, boom, boom, bouncing on the bed. I'm like, okay, they're jumping. And I'm, I'm counting, I'm like, five minutes, jumping, still jumping. Six minutes, still jumping, still playing. Eight minutes goes by, still jumping, still playing. Ten minutes goes by. I mean, this is the longest five minutes ever, right? And so I finally go upstairs, and I walk in the room, and they're like, you know that, like, busted, right? And they're staring at me, and I'm like, are you guys doing what you're supposed to be doing? No, Daddy. No, we, we started playing. And I'm like, I gave you a time limit, and you didn't respect it. And so I, I just feel like this is, this is God. I feel like he's kind of like, listen, I should have come back a long time ago, but I'm waiting for you. I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you an opportunity to see that, that this isn't how it was supposed to be in the world and that you yourself, you can't save yourself no matter what you do. I'm giving you a chance to humble yourself before me and to say, God, save me. Save this world. Make me an agent of your grace in this world. Use me for something better than just glorifying myself, saving my family, building bunkers in the basement so that I can feel okay. God, would you give me a bigger vision? I think we all have that chance today. And as a church, here's our call to you. We have a call to go show people what this is about. We have a call. I think that the world looks at the church and they look in at the church and they, they think to themselves, as our church is here in our city, are they going to believe what we have to say? Are they going to believe that we have a bigger picture of eternity? Because I think in Alaska, the, we're in one of the least churched states in the nation. And there's a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. What, what I think that people look in at the church, and I think that they think this, I don't believe you. I don't believe what you're saying. Talk is cheap. Because people are telling people, it's heaven or hell, get on the train or don't. But when we go out and we serve our city, when we show people unconditional love, when we are self-sacrificial about our lives, and we love people truly, 
when we go from this place today, and we don't get distracted by all the things and trappings of life, but we go out and we go on mission, I think people start to believe us. When we go out in a couple weeks for Impact Eagle River, this is why this is so impactful for our city because it's one thing to say, yeah, you know, God's going to reconcile the world to himself. It's another thing to go show people what it looks like to love somebody unconditionally. See, that's believable. That's what the world needs is a church that's not just saying the right things, not spewing theology of the end is near, not somebody, another guy with a sign that says, hey, you're going to hell. They need people who love well like Jesus did. See, Jesus was believable. That's why he drew a crowd. He didn't just say, hey, you know, I will heal you emotionally. He went and actually healed them physically. He cared about their physical needs as well. I think that's a church that people will believe. Verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. How's that for scary? One day, everything we do will be exposed for what it is. One day, our hearts, true desires will be exposed. And it's going to happen like that. It's going to happen when you least expect it. About a year ago, I was laying in bed, and I woke up at like 2 in the morning, and I heard a big crash in my garage. I was sure there was a, like somebody breaking into my house. So I'm, my eyes are wide open. hear this, and then I look over my wife. She's sound asleep, right? Of course. So I'm laying there going, there's somebody in my house. What's going on here? So then it's decision time, right? What do I do about this? You know? As a guy, I'm like, what, what would I do? Would I go tackle him? Would I shoot him in the face? What am I, well, how do I respond to a, situ- to a situation like this? He's in my house. Could I do it? I don't know if I could do it. I, you know, I'm laying in bed. You know what I ended up doing? I went back to sleep. <laughs> I woke up the next morning, and I guess I was like, we're okay. There's, it must have been nothing. Something just fell, or, you know, there's a cat outside. I don't know what it was, but I heard something. I know it was loud. But I just, I was like, it, it's going to take some work. I'm going to have to go, you know, get out of bed. It's going to be cold. You know, walk down the stairs. If it is somebody, that's going to be a weird moment. We're going to have to deal with this. I don't, I don't really want to go through all that. So I'm just going to go back to sleep and hope that he doesn't rob the place, you know, and steal my children. So it's, it's like, why would anybody do that? I woke up thinking, this is kind of ridiculous. Why wouldn't you check that out? <laughs> this is my life. I feel like this is for us. I feel like, I feel like we just go back to sleep, don't we? You you can leave here and just go back to sleep. Just go home, just go back to sleep, you know? Just go back to the way things were. Just act like, yeah, the end's coming someday, not a big deal. He says it's like a thief in the night. When you least expect it, God's going to show up and he's going to show you everything about yourself and he's going to weigh all that you've done in this life. And he's going to show all of us what was it worth. He's going to weigh all of your efforts. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So he says this, since all of this, since all of this is coming, live lives of holiness. And I want you to hear this 
correctly. What he's not saying is go act holy. Go put on your churchy face. Go act like everything's okay. Go act like you're fine when you're not. He's saying be who you are in Christ. Go live lives of holy because he has made you holy. Holy means to be set apart for God, that he has recreated you. The Bible talks about that you've, you've been recreated, literally reborn, that you have experienced this new birth just like this world will experience a new birth someday. And it'll be completely redeemed to God. And he's saying, go live in that truth, that you are a new person, hastening the coming of God as you love the world around you. And then telling the story of this new heaven and this new earth to the people around you, not in words only, but also in your actions, in the way that you love people. You guys, this city needs Christians who are out in it. They need people who love them authentically. Jesus says in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that you protect them in the world, that you wouldn't run from it like a bunch of preppers trying to save yourselves, but you'd run into the flames like Jesus ran into the world after us. They are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. So you are different. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them. So he says, hey, God, would you protect them in this? I know they'll be tempted to fall back into their old ways. I know they'll be tempted to think that they are self-sufficient. They can do this on their own, but don't let them do that. Protect them. Make them new in this world. So Jesus sends us out just like he was sent out into this broken world as an agent of grace to people who desperately need it, who are thirsty for something real. See, we as the church, that's what we're about. That is our mission, to go and show this to our city. And I pray that you will do that this week. That's our prayer for this new Wednesday service, that we would be agents of grace to our city in new ways. I pray that you would invite your friends to be part of what's happening here, that this thing on Sunday morning would be a priority, that you'd come here, that you'd get fueled up, and that you would go out as agents of grace to our city. This is our call. And I pray that our prayer wouldn't be, Jesus, come back. I pray that our prayer would be, Jesus, would you wait a minute so that I can talk to my family a little bit more, so that I can talk to my friends a little bit more, so that I can show your love to people a little bit more. Jesus, would you wait a little bit and give me time so that I can show your love to the people that I love? Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your grace today. Thank you for your word to us, God. I'm convicted that, God, that I would love better not just for my own sake, God, but to show you to the world. And Father, we confess as we look out that things are dim, things are broken. We see a lot of messes, God, and it's, it's beyond us. We can't fix it. God, the right president won't fix it. The right laws won't fix it. God, only Jesus can fix it. And so, God, we look forward to that day. But in this time, God, could, could we be a community at peace? Could we be a a community of people who see a greater story going on here, one of birth, one of something new that's to come. And God, I pray that would flow from our fingertips and flow from our voices as we walk our day-to-day lives. God, could we be able to tell people it's gonna be okay because Christ has conquered sin and he's conquered death. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys, thank you.